Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Aren't you thankful that you're in the house of the Lord today? Amen. This is Pentecost Sunday and we are thankful to be a part of the world of Pentecost, aren't you? Aren't you thankful to be happy? Filled with the Holy Ghost and the power of the Lord, and and uh, I feel uh, I feel a little bit like I am a little pot of goulash this morning, <laughs> and uh, I want uh, to I want to I want to um, in our second service preach about uh, the the power of Pentecost and the day of Pentecost and what that means, and I feel like the Lord has given giving me something and I want you to stay with me. Amen. Stay and, and I, I'm here's here's the goulash part. Amen. I got I got a Bible lesson I need to teach that I think is just as important. So I'm not trying to overemphasize or emphasize one over the other one, but uh, I've got a couple of hats I need to wear this morning, but I just want you to let make this first journey with me and and uh, let's not let that be secondary, but I certainly don't want you to I think you want to stay. Amen. Not because you want to hear me, but I want us to hear from the Lord. Praise God. Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost today. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I think we need to entertain this just a moment right here. Lord, I love you today. Thank you, Jesus. Let something settle in our heart here today. Take any restlessness out of our mind and heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I hope you just came for church today and you didn't just come for a couple hours I just hope you came to church didn't just come for 90 minutes but you just came to church when I was a when I was a child growing up and um, I know you're standing but when you're seated I'll be standing a whole lot longer um, we had fifth Sunday meetings some of you know what I'm talking about and um the service would move around various churches on the fifth Sunday. So every church had their Sunday morning service, and then they went to whoever was hosting the fifth Sunday on a fifth Sunday. They would go to whoever was hosting that and have dinner on the ground. Generally, it was dinner on the ground. And uh, flies, gnats, we had a lot of protein on those days. And, uh, and then you had church all day. Had church till everybody got all the singing out of them. All the preaching out of them. Amen. Amen. 
Some of you think I'm firing a warning shot, don't you? Amen. The book of James, chapter 1. I want to finish what we started Wednesday night. And if you weren't here um, Wednesday night, I want to... Maybe just try to pick up from there. And even if you weren't here Wednesday night, perhaps the Lord will just help us to uh, get you on board uh, with this particular thought. I was teaching on overcoming temptation. And uh, since temptation is not going away at any age, our temptations are different. What tempts an 18-year-old may not tempt an 80-year-old. And, and, uh, and you may not even have to be 80 for those things to change, all points in between. And uh, I used to be tempted as a young man to stay up all night, <laughs> see if I could do it. And uh, I have been to my adulthood, stayed up all night. We've referred to that as insomnia. And I've, woke, I've just sit on the couch crying because I couldn't go to sleep. No longer tempting. And uh, changes, doesn't it? And um, so we're just going to understand that temptation doesn't change or doesn't go away. It may change. It doesn't go away. So let's talk about how we can overcome it and uh, live an overcoming life. James 1 and and, um, 15. Now, Vanessa is going to be helping us here today. She's segueing into our media ministry, and she's not solo this morning, but uh, she may quit after today. (laughs) <laughs> don't, I warned her, I warned her ahead of time, at least I warned her ahead of time, but uh, James 1 and 15, when the lust, and when lust, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death, do not err, my beloved brethren, every good and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so with that, amen, let's just pray. Lord, I love you today, and I'm asking you to help me to make sense of this word today. Because that's what you said in your word you would do. And I'm asking you, Lord, that you would help us to be able to put this on the middle shelf where young and old can all receive this word today and understand its value and how it applies to our lives. So I pray that you would just strengthen us now in the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated in the fear of the Lord. During our last visit, we talked about the nature of evil. We were talking about four things. We talked about two of them Wednesday night. We talked about the nature of evil in verse 13. And then we talked about the nature of man. In verse 14, the Bible says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And and so James sort of puts the blame where it should be. And that is squarely in our lap. And he doesn't give us any wiggle room to be able to kind of point our fingers. You remember I said Wednesday night that when... The Lord asked Adam why he had partaken of the fruit. He said, well, it was that woman that you gave me. And when he asked Eve why she had partaken of the fruit, she blamed the serpent. It was the serpent's fault. I said in a twofold way when Adam said it was the woman, it was really a twofold 
accusation because he said it was the woman. And so he blamed Eve and he said that you gave me, he blamed the Lord. And so we haven't changed a whole lot, people. We haven't changed a whole lot. We still try to find people to blame our faults on and and uh, we try to figure out why some things happen. But James said we're, we're, um, that, that every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And so we talked about the fact that lust is used here in, this, in the context of desire. It, it's not in a sensual manner really in which it's kind of used today in our age. Um, today, we're, as we move now to the next two subjects, we're going to move forward and talk about the nature of lust and the nature of God. And uh, the nature of lust, let's look at this in verse 15. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. And so having identified the nature of lust, or having identified rather lust, in the nature of man, in verse 14, James now begins to pull this down and talk about it in a very practical way. And uh, this is the heart of his teaching about the subject of, of temptation. And so he shifts from the allegories. If you remember, I talked about Wednesday night, that he used the allegories of hunting and fishing or as in lure and bait. And now James uses the process of childbirth to illustrate his point. Lust uh, is depicted as a mother conceiving and bearing a child. And so, uh, you know, it, I think all of us can agree that a good illustration drives a point home. We can, we can sort of get it, but a good illustration helps us get it, get it. Amen? And so that's what James is doing is giving us an illustration. Lust is depicted as a mother conceiving and bearing a child. And he makes it clear that sin is not an isolated act or even a series of isolated acts, but sin is the result of a specific process. And, and so James is going to get all right down where we live today. I'm just going to warn you that he is talking about sin being the end result of a specific Process. We don't just accidentally wind up in Macon, Georgia. You, you got to not from here. You got to be pretty intentional about getting there. You're going to have to stop and turn left, and you're going to have to turn right, and, and there are just some things that we're going to have to do in order to get there. So to better help us understand the process, James identifies four principles or four basic steps. And, and so it's the steps that lead to sin. The first thing that we will discuss is the subject of desire. Before salvation, all people are slaves to lust. And I, I said that before, desire in and of itself is not morally or spiritually wrong. As a matter of fact, it's probably morally and spiritually neutral because desire in context, in balance, is normal. Without desires, we couldn't function in life. For instance, unless we felt hunger and unless we felt thirst, we would never eat and never drink and therefore ultimately we would die. Now I'm talking to healthy people today for the most part and that kind of sounds cliche, but do you know that somewhere in a medical facility, 
there, there is there's a, a group of staff somewhere that's dealing with patients that have lost their desire to eat and drink. And so it, there's something wrong. And so they've got to take care of that and, and tend to that. And, and uh, so some desires, we are, uh, we get tired and fatigued in our body. And I'm not just talking about tired at the end of the day, but we can get mentally and emotionally and, and spiritually fatigued and, 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 and our body physically fatigued. And, and so we have a desire to just lay down a desire to rest, and there's nothing wrong with that because if you don't, you'll die. So in context, it's okay. It's when we want to satisfy those desires outside of God's will, that's where we get in trouble. So some desires are fine, but when we want to go outside of the will of God to satisfy that, and so that it begins, when we talk about desire, it begins primarily as, as an emotion. It's a longing for something a desire for something. At first, it's probably and most likely largely subconscious. It develops somewhere deep within us. Perhaps it's that want to acquire or the want to achieve or possess something that we don't have. That can be sparked, of course, by any number of things. But then desire develops and it and it starts getting our attention. It's We think about it more often. It was just a thought. And now it... It just shows back up. It's, it's on the doorstep again today. And, and it's something that we see or hear about. And then it just kind of grabs our attention. And the next news you know, it has our attention. It draws out a strong desire, not now to just think about it, but to act on it. Amen. Something we should all bear in mind is this, that no temptation appears to be a temptation at the moment. It's just something we allow to keep... Coming around. I, I, I know that I primarily have an adult audience right now in this first service. And so as a child, I remember growing up and, and hearing this from my parents. And then as a parent, I remember saying this to our son at times when uh, you'd be surprised. I don't want to jinx ourselves here, but you'd be surprised through the years how many people would just drop stray cats and dogs and stuff off around the church. And so they migrate their way over to our house. And so the very first thing that we had to teach our son is the thing that we were taught as a child, whatever you do, don't feed it. <laughs> it belongs to you the day you feed it. And so that's, that's a hard thing because you, you feel that sympathy. I was, my wife and I were reminded of something that happened right, uh, right near the head of our bed on the outside wall, uh, there's a, an air-conditioned drain pipe, and so the condensation, it all builds up there, and we have put a pan there for our animals to have some fresh water uh, outside if we're not home. And, and so one day we woke up to the whining, whining of puppies, and when I tell you puppies, plural, it was very plural. <laughs> and somebody had dropped them off by the road, and I suppose they smelled that water, and there they were on the outside wall, and we went outside, and we were blessed, shall we say. And so the first thing we got to be proactive is don't feed this. If you feed it, it'll never leave. you got to deal with it. And so temptation doesn't look like a temptation in the beginning. Amen? And so you're holding that little, very few, very few ugly puppies. 
Most of them are just adorable. You can't even imagine them chewing the, the, the wires off, out from under the trailer. And you, and, and you can't even imagine them gnawing off the wires out from under your truck and digging holes all the way to China. You can't even envision that when you're holding them in your hand because a temptation doesn't look like a temptation. But can the voice of experience have the next 30 seconds of your attention? They will dig and they will gnaw. And they will destroy more than you can dare imagine. And in the end, I doubt it will have been worth it. (laughs) And I'm still talking about temptation. Temptation always carries with it some bait, something that appeals to our natural desire. So the bait not only attracts us, but the bait also has the ability to hide the fact that yielding to the desire is eventually going to bring sorrow and punishment. When, when in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were first tempted with the fruit, it was not the bad that enticed her, but it was the good that enticed her. And where was the bad? The bad was hidden behind the good. And that's how it always is with sin. Amen. All temptations do not, do not reveal their full character and nature right at the beginning. So it's the bait that's the exciting thing. For instance, Lot would perhaps never have moved to Sodom had he not seen the bait. The bait was what? The well-watered plains of Sodom. Luscious grass. This has got to work. David, when he looked on his neighbor's wife, the Bible says... He talks about being on the rooftop and beholding his neighbor's wife while she was bathing. He would have never committed adultery had he been able to somehow supernaturally see past the moment. Amen. And I'm asking you today, and I have said this in council hundreds of times. I feel safe in saying that, feel safe in saying more, uh, more times than that. But hundreds of times I have said you need to think past the moment think past the moment because on the other side of this moment, David, you can't understand that all now you see is a beautiful lady bathing herself. But can I tell you what's on the other side of this good, on the other side of this good is going to be the death of a child that's going to be born of this union. On the other side of what you think is the ultimate beauty is going to be at your own very hand, the murder of a brave soldier and a trusted friend. On the other side of this good is going to be the violation of a daughter named Tamar. You see, the bait just keeps us from seeing the consequences. Amen. A lot of, a lot of uh, fishermen have their trophies mounted on the wall. It's amazing. They never use that as bait. They never throw that mount overboard and pull it along the bottom and say, look here, guys, what can happen? Nobody does that. It's just the bait that hides so much. The next step is the spirit of deception. Now, this is a subject that I do not have the capacity to exhaust. But but deception is a very dangerous thing. The more closely related to the mind, uh, it's, it's more closely related to the mind than to the emotions because when we begin to think about a desired object, our mind begins to rationalize and justify why it would be okay. And, and, and we're just flirting now with deception and letting it have its way that 
it really won't matter and the price is not really that bad and and it's it's just not it's just not that big of a deal i i, re, I remember in, years ago and i don't want to give too many illustrations but i just want to make a couple of points here to uh, perhaps connect with everyone that we possibly can many, many years over 20 years ago my wife and i were trying to decide what to do about housing for ourselves we were living in a uh, in a mobile home and we needed a, a larger space and so we had just concluded our building program back here in our annex and and we didn't really know if we had it in us to to go through another building program and so for a little while we thought about uh, and shopped for some mobile homes and so uh, we had gone to look at a mobile home and of course you know when you go to a mobile home manufacturer we went down to their make their tour and uh, when you go outside they've got it baited just right because you step out of the factory into the million dollar one. Into the, whoa, you are kidding me. And so when we were standing in that you are kidding me version, I asked the man how much. And he said, well now as it sits, and he gave me a figure, and then he had the courage to say, but set up and delivered. <laughs> no, we're just going to buy it and leave it here. <laughs> we're just going to move in right here. Just somehow he had to figure out a way to soften the blow of all of this money that we're fixing. I mean, because he, he's laying some pretty hefty figures on us. So we've got to figure out a way that we can not make this quite sound so bad. And so he didn't want to just scare me away. But I, I've been, I, I was, we, we have laughed about that many times through the years. You know, if you want it set up and delivered with steps and air, well now, well now. And so how many times do we grab something and the devil says, well, once we have it, you didn't realize that there's, oh, you wanted that set up. You want that delivered. And now you've already signed your name to a contract with with ink that you can't erase and here we are and so I tell you today that deception deception we think about it we begin to rationalize and justify and after a while you think let me ask you something have you ever said we ought to buy this because we deserve it go ahead it's all right we're we can have an altar call later we're going to do this. And, and, you know, I mean, we're just all, we've all been there. We've all got caught up in those moments. You've worked hard. You deserve that. And, and why you should have one of those. And why, I mean, everybody else has got one of those. And why would it hurt for you to have one of those? Because you deserve it. You've done this. You've been faithful. You've been a good husband. You've been a good wife. You've been a good father. You've been a good mother. And we start rationalizing and justifying. And then all of a sudden we start, we drive away. We want to think about this a minute. As we go eat a hamburger or something, while we're eating a hamburger, we're thinking, well, we can't even afford this. This is not about deserving. You know I'm not just using me in this illustration, right? We get away from that moment and, 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 and the big picture that eluded us for just a moment is can you afford to do this? Can you afford to do this and, you know, these payments, they're just blank a month. And, and, and man, that's just what we could, you know, if we didn't eat and, uh, and if we didn't go out and eat and if we didn't, and, uh, 
and uh, you know if we if we didn't use as much hot water when we showered, and if we just and we figure out a way to justify and rationalize, and then we think about we're thinking of those in thirty day blocks, and we forget about those thirty day blocks are all confined in a thirty year time frame. I got to move on, but we start rationalizing, not thinking about. Amen. One thing I figured out about payments is this. They're very regular. I've had all kind of mail. I've had all kind of things with great deference to Brother Brian. I've had all kind of things get lost in the mail. Very few bills. They all, they make their way. I mean, rain, hail, sleet, or snow. Somehow or another, they, they get there. I've had checks. I've had checks get lost in the mail. I've had all kind of... Uh, <laughs> They're regular, and so is sin's payment. It is very, very regular. I'm taking way too much time with this, but I'm telling you that the spirit of deception doesn't come blanketed with the big red letters, deception. There's nowhere a caution sign. Amen. There, there, there is nowhere, Justin, what's that uh, uh, grim reaper? There is, no, there is no grim reaper sign. There is no grim reaper sign that says beyond this point is death. My son and I have done some diving uh, in, in earlier years, and you can swim to certain points in, into the mouth of a cave. I'm not telling we've ever done anything foolish or anything of that nature, but, but you can come and there's grim reaper signs. And you know what? They're there. They're very. They're very alarming. They are very startling because in every cave system that we have ever been in, in in the mouth of every cave that we have ever been in, and every grim reaper sign that I have ever myself personally uh, witnessed, there is a grim reaper that's standing there. And this note that says you need to turn around, and it tells you how many people have died going past this point. Wouldn't it be nice if life just had those signs everywhere? That every time you kind of got ventured off into some little place that was just danger, there would be a spiritual grim reaper that would say, well, you, you need to think about where you're going because countless souls have lost their life when they swam past this point, when they ignored because they got deceived and thinking it will be all right. I can do it. I can handle it. I'm a big boy. I'm a big girl. Amen. I'm going to tell you, if we are not careful, you can't trust your heart. That's what Jeremiah said. It's deceitfully wicked. And above all things, you can't trust your heart. Amen. You can't trust your desire. You can't trust your flesh because we already have this predisposition to satisfy our flesh. Amen. It's like that animal or that fish that goes after the bait. The desire to have what we want is so strong that we discount the possible dangers. We can probably handle this. But I think I'm talking to people that have made purchases that in time all of that beauty in the driveway or all that beauty in the closet started fading because of the price that was really attached to it. Just wasn't worth it. And it spoiled. It spoiled what we thought was going to be the greatest time of our life. Just simply wanting it justifies the effort to have it. And that's the point that James says, when lust hath conceived... Amen. That's the life of sin, as it were. It's starting to form and grow. There's something there because lust has conceived. Now it's not just a thought. It's, there's something there. There's something tangible. And, and that brings us to the third step, and that is design. This is where the plan starts to be made to fulfill the emotional desire that, that we have already now justified in our mind. 
This is a stage that involves our will and our conscious decision to pursue this thing until it is satisfied. And because the will is involved, it is at this stage where most of the guilt lies. Amen. What has been longed for now and, and, and what has been consciously pursued for some time as a matter of choice, let me add. Amen. I'm going to tell you today that Christian living is a matter of will and not feelings. Amen. I can tell you today, I'll be just safe in saying, and they may, there may be some here, but in churches across our country today, there are going to be people that are there not because they felt like being there, but they willed themselves to be here. Amen. They willed themselves to be here. I don't want to embarrass anybody today. Amen. My good friend sitting over here probably feels like being at home in his recliner. He probably feels that way physically, but he willed himself to be in this holy house today. Amen. I say this with great deference to you, Sister Davis. You know that I love you. Amen. She probably didn't feel like, I'm talking about physically, coming to the house of the Lord. But hours and hours and hours before 10 o'clock, amen, somewhere, amen, she willed herself to get up. She willed herself to say, I'm coming into the house of the Lord. And so can I tell you that you may not always feel like reading the Bible or feel like praying or feel like uh, a few like fasting, amen, but we have to wheel ourselves past that moment of feeling and say I am in this thing for the long haul. Children operate on the basis of feelings, amen, but adults operate on the basis of a will, our will. When the clock goes off, you don't feel like getting up sometimes. You don't feel like getting dressed and punching the clock and going back to the grind but you will yourself to do that. You will yourself to do that. Amen. Children, let their feelings make their decisions. Amen. However, the more you exercise your will in resisting that temptation, something else starts developing in you. Amen. You start exercising yourself. Amen. You exercise your will over your feelings. Amen. And so when it's time to pray, amen, you have been exercising that and it just gets easier and easier to go back. Amen. To that. Why? Because God is gaining control in our life. I'm talking about how we overcome temptation, the temptation to disengage, the temptation to disconnect, the temptation to just cut the cord and just go adrift. I'm going to tell you today, children operate by feelings, but born again, Bible-believing, grown men and women, we need to will ourselves to the house of God. Amen. When the doors are open, I'm going to will myself there. Amen. If it's prayer time, I'm going to will myself there. And you overcome, you overcome how? You overcome by exercising yourself, by exercising yourself. Amen. Amen. The reason it hurts sometimes when we do things is because we're exercising muscles that we don't ordinarily use. Amen. And so we have to wheel ourselves. And so now that deception leads to disobedience. If we allow the process to continue, the design inevitably, inevitably produces disobedience to God's law. And now sin is born. Amen. That which was desired, that which was justified, that which was willed has now been committed because desire leads to deception and deception 
to design and designed the disobedience. And that, my friend, is where sin is born. It should go without saying that the easier in the process, the earlier rather in the process that we determine we are going to resist, the greater likelihood we will have to to avoid sin. Amen. The earlier you can stop it, the earlier you can get off of this train, the earlier you can jump off of this track, amen, the greater likelihood we have to avoid the sin, amen, I need to stop it at desire, I just need to stop it right there because I know the next step is just going to be a spirit of deception, amen, the next thing I'm going to be justifying why it would be all right. I'm going to be telling myself, you're going to be telling yourself you deserve this, amen, and we're going to lead down a path of disobedience and sin will be born, amen, on the other hand, the longer we delay resistance, the more likely the more likely the actual sin is going to take place and so we got to control our emotional response to temptation we got to do that the day it shows up amen, I wish Oh, I just wish, amen, so bad. This morning I had a megaphone in my hand that I could just shout it and say, you gotta deal with it the day that it shows up. Amen, it's the principle, and just pardon me for this, but it's the principle that Barney Fife gave some of you all a long, long time ago. You gotta nip it, nip it, nip it, nip it. (laughs) Amen. He's some of y'all's favorite Bible character, I know. But, <laughs> Amen. You just have to nip it in the bud. I mean, oh, you know what? My my parents and some of your parents alike, that was their terminology. So you better nip that in the bud. Well, you didn't have to run and go get no dictionary. You didn't have to run and go try to find some counselor to tell you what you think, what you think she meant by that. You better nip it in the bud. And if you don't know what that means, you better figure out what that means because there's a lot of heat going to follow this. So just nip it and just stop it now. There won't be none of that. We'll just take care of that, pull it out by the root because the battle must be fought in the mind because the mind is where sin is conceived. In your mind, in your mind. The truth of God, amen, that's what activates the conscience. Amen, the, the, the conscience, and I understand that a conscience can be seared, so that's, we gotta be careful with that. But I'm gonna tell you, the conscience, the conscience, an unseared conscience is the soul's warning system. Anybody here, your conscience ever bother you? You, you did something, so, oh, man, you said something, and oh, oh, oh something, something happened, and even something was there. That was your soul warning system. Amen, the soul, the warning system of our soul alarm. Something sounded, amen, we must, amen, and that must be heard. You can't ignore that sound. You can't ignore that. You've got to do something about it. Again, I was just a teenage boy, and my, my cousin Vicky was just six months older than me. She got a vehicle before I got a vehicle, and she got an old Monza, which was kind of a takeoff of a Vega and they were just—they were just horrible things. They were just disposable cars, and and uh, they, they, we were riding down the road, and the engine started knocking. I said, "Vicky, I think I hear—I think I hear the engine. I, something don't sound right." And you know what she did? She reached down and turned the radio up. And you know what I did? I laughed. I thought that was the funniest thing. And you know what? We made it about another mile. 
I mean, there's just some things you gotta listen. You gotta turn it up. When I tell you that a rod came loose and knocked a hole that big around in the side of the block and oil went everywhere, can I tell you that it is an alarm that must be heard? It must be heard. I feel in my heart a burning desire. I'm not trying to be comedic today. I'm not trying to be funny today. But I'm gonna tell you that when there, there have been times, hear me today, I feel this in the Holy Ghost. There have been times that a sounding, a warning has been sounded from this pulpit. And I'm gonna tell you in 28 years, I've watched a lot of people just reach down and turn the radio up. Amen. Just ignore the preacher if you will. Amen. I'm gonna tell you, you can ignore Steve if you want to. But if you ignore this, amen, you're gonna find yourself just a mile or two down the road. <laughs> no, just a mile or two down the road. You're gonna be saying, I wish so bad. I wish so bad that I had listened. I feel the Holy Ghost in what I'm saying here today. Praise your name. Praise your name. Praise your name. Praise your name. My God in heaven, hear us. My God in heaven, hear us. I shared with you many years ago the story of a man backslidden out of the church in Alexandria and how he had gotten into drugs and, and, and his life had just run aground. Amen. And now a drug deal went bad and a man pulled out a pistol and shot him. That shot did not kill him. But he said when that man pulled that pistol, this was his testimony later after he came back to God. He said when I was up against that building, I was cowered down in fear of my life because I knew this was the end. He said, the first thing I heard, I saw in my mind and heard in my mind was my pastor in the pulpit preaching. I'm gonna tell you today, don't ignore the preacher. Don't ignore the preacher today. Amen, don't ignore the boys. Don't ignore the alarm. He sounded the alarm. Amen, don't reach down and turn the noise of your life up and think it's all going to be okay. You cannot win. You cannot win in that regard. Oh, hallelujah. I think we ought to praise the Lord just a minute. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My wife and I have discussed this many times through the years, but just most recently, most recently, and I don't even know why I'm sharing. It's not my notes, wasn't in my mind, but it's just on my heart. And so I'm just going to say it and lay it, let it lie where it is. But you, you can take this out of context. You can write all of this off if you want to, but I would admonish everybody to hear what I'm about to say. I watched, we watched our pastor years ago deal with a situation and people just would not turn and they just would not change and they were causing so much hell and havoc in the church and they just would not, they just would not turn around. And I remember one night, amen, our pastor stood and said, in a spirit of brokenness, amen, not in a spirit of haughtiness, not with a sword in his hand, but he was a broken, a broken man. And he said, as of this moment, I am removing myself. I am stepping out from between you and God. Amen, I am walking away. I'm gonna tell you, I was too young to really understand the magnitude of what that old shepherd was saying, but I have lived long enough to understand the rest 
ramifications of what came. Amen. God, he said, I'm getting out of here. I'm just moving out from between you and the Lord. Amen. You say, well, that's cold hearted. No, no, no. I'm going to tell you at some point. Amen. We have got to put our will on the shelf and say, God, let your will be done. Let your will be done. We can't keep fighting and resisting. It has been a little over 30 years, a little over three decades ago that that statement was made and we watched slowly like a cancerous process just eat away, eat away, eat away, eat away, eat away. And if you're so shallow today to think that I'm just standing in this pulpit threatening, you're missing the point. You gotta deal with some alarms when they go off. You got to take care of that right then. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Since no one of us is successful in resisting every temptation by immediately rejecting a wrong desire, we need to understand there are ways to deal with sin at every stage. Because hear me, we're not all successful of just nipping it. Day one. A little thought came in. We didn't build a room on our house. We did set a pillow down beside us. Sit there. And so I want you to not think it's too late if that's what's happened. I mean, we can avoid many temptations, of course, by just avoiding certain places. Certain situations where you know some things are likely to occur. Just... Just avoid that. You don't have to get. You don't have to buy no soapbox, buy no big gavel, and buy a bag of phone, and try to condemn the whole world. There are just some things we just say. I'm not going there. I'm not. I. I you don't understand. I can't do that. Amen. We need to learn how to refrain from certain magazines or certain books or perhaps movies or, or TV programs and certain friends and. Amen. Places where we know our emotions are going to be aroused or any sort of enticement to sin, you just need to stay away. Avoid it. Don't just keep going and stand there. Just see how strong you can be. What if you're not strong enough? Don't just go stand and make sure that you've got the strength to withstand. Don't be so foolish. This is your life and the lives of others around you because no one goes down alone. The Bible says that when the great cedar trees fall, it's a little innocent fir trees. They get taken out in the midst of that. And so you're not gonna fall alone, sir. You're not gonna fall alone, ma'am. Amen, we have got to resist that. We need to make sure that we're exposed to things that, uh, that feed our emotions in godly ways. If, if our Sunday school students, Tom, if they need to come in, just come in. I don't know what's going on back there, but amen. But we need to gain uh, positively and directly from spiritual benefit of those things. And, and we need to make sure that ungodly things are less attractive. For example, we need to have good godly things in our life. Uplifting music. Amen. Uh, uplifting preaching. What a great emotional blessing that is for us to have that uplifting. Remember, you get out of your heart and your mind what you put into it. Amen. I, I'm going to, 
I'm going to hurry here today. Amen. But we got to be very, very careful. We got to be very, very careful uh, that, that we make sure what goes in our heart, what we listen to, is going to encourage us. It's going to, it's going to uplift us. In order to overcome sin in your life, amen, your first line of defense is to stay in control of a few things. Are you hearing me now? Stay focused here. You need to stay in control of where you go. Stay in control of what you see and what you hear and stay in control of what you participate in. Amen. We must be on guard at the level of our mind. At our mind, I, there are just some things I don't want in my mind. I don't want. I don't want that in my mind. I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. I'm not being cynical. I'm not trying to be crass or, 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 or sound like a smart aleck. But I don't get when I don't get people that are running around trying to find out every little thing that's going on in everybody's life. Amen. If you only knew how much I wish I could forget. I'm not saying that to seek sympathy. I'm telling you the truth. And then I see some people walk around, you know, old song, it was just a child song, picking up pawpaws, putting them in your basket, picking up pawpaws. They just got every little old story, every little thing. They put them in your basket. After a while, you're not going to be able to, your basket's going to drown you. It's going to pull you down. I don't want to see that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to put all that in my mind. Amen. Instead of rationalizing temptations, amen, we need to oppress the, the temptations that oppress the word of God. Amen. We, we need to do just what Jesus said. Amen and just do what Jesus did. We need to resist that with the word. Fight the world with the word. How about that? Amen. Fight the world with the word. That's what Jesus did. If you're who you say you are, turn these stones into bread. Amen. He pulled out his sword and he said, amen, amen, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I say in the holy name of Jesus today that we need to fight the world with the Word of God, thy word. Oh, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It may take years for sin to mature, but when it does hear me, it will the end be death. And so whenever we are faced with temptation, amen, when we are faced with temptation, we need to get our eyes off the bait and look ahead at the consequences. Paul said in Romans, the wages of sin is death death. In light of these sobering truths, James said, do not err. The word translated as err is, is, is not so much as a warning against making a mistake, but it's a warning against being deceived. It carries the idea of don't be led astray. Simply implied, amen, the origin of sin, the end, end result of sin may, may cause us to be led astray by that. Praise God. Praise God. I'm trying to figure out what to do. I'm going to try to do something magical. I got four minutes at least. Amen. I'm not against, up against the clock as much as I'm against myself here. But uh, James 1 and 17, every good, and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither a shadow of turning. So let's talk about this nature of God. And, I'm, I'm, and as the musicians come, I'm going to come in here. James declares again that God is, that God's own nature is, is incompatible with the nature of sin. 
James presents four facts about the goodness of God. He said every good gift in this world comes from God. And so can you, can you understand this, that God only gives good gifts. Hallelujah. God only gives good gifts. I'm going to pull you out of your comfort zone. Let's say that together. God only gives good gifts. Amen. God only gives good gifts. But sometimes the good that's coming in our life sure seems bad. But help me now. God only gives good gifts. Amen. Help me again. God only gives good gifts. But it's it's packaged bad. I'm not, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. Joseph, if you know anything about Joseph, Joseph's journey was marked by tragedy and betrayal. And just bear with me for this little illustration, but I just had to think that Joseph knew about enough about God to be walking around saying, but God only gives good gifts. I know I'm in a pit. I know my brothers just cussed me out and sold me down the river, but God only gives good gifts. <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> I don't know what this deal was with Potiphar's wife. I didn't do anything to, but you know what? I know this. God only gives good gifts. I can't believe Potiphar believed her and threw me back in jail, but you know, God only gives good gifts. But here I got this butler and this baker, and you know what? We've been, you know, we got pretty tight. We've, uh, we've, we've shared a few cold drinks together, and we sat around the fire and talked, and so they're my hope. And then they let him down, and I just think that he's not charging God. And he's, but God only gives good gifts. But God only gives good gifts. But it was packaged in a raw, thorny box. God only gives good gifts. And finally, one day, somebody knocks on the cell door. Are you Joseph? Yes. Are you inmate number such? Yes, yes, that's me. He said, Pharaoh needs to see you just a moment. And he's walking out saying, God only gives good gifts. <laughs> Amen. And Pharaoh says, this is what I want you to do. Interpret this dream. God only gives good gifts. And then Pharaoh turns and he says, you know what, I want you to sit right here in this chair. And finally Joseph makes the last mile of his journey and said, yep, God only gives good gifts. <laughs> but it's packaged in thorny boxes. They don't make sense. I'm gonna tell you that Holy Ghost is right where we're living today. I feel a heavy anointing. I told my wife, I told my wife yesterday, I, said, I feel something in my heart. I feel something stirring in my soul way, way, way before the sun ever thought about peeking out this morning. My eyes opened. I got up. I went to my chair in the living room. I said, God, I need you to help me today. 
I need you to help me today. I think something eternal is going on. And I think something eternal is going to happen in this service today. And we're not even halfway done. So please don't dismiss this morning. Amen. Don't dismiss this morning. I feel, amen, that God is wanting to give birth to something in our heart. The value of of a gift, I understand, can be diminished by the way it's presented to us. But when God gives us a blessing, amen, he does it in a fashion, in a manner. If we can just be faithful, he's taking me somewhere. He's carrying me somewhere. I'm going to tell you this morning from my heart. I've had more seasons of my life and ministry than I care to mention where I felt like that God just did this. Said, you just walk alone here for a little while. Feels like alone. I know he'd never leave us nor forsake us. You just walk. You just walk. We'll see what you do. I'm going to tell you something today. There's something to be said about just walking. Just walking. I'm preaching to people every day. Hadn't been yippee yay yay. I feel like God just kind of extracted Himself from the situation. I just felt like He just folded His arms, took a step back, just kept walking. When He did that in the life of Job, Job just kept walking. And He said, I came here with nothing. I may leave here with nothing, but God, I bless your name. You're holy. You're righteous. And I'm not saying He never had a bad day. I'm not trying to say that at all, but I'm going to tell you that somehow He kept His head together and He kept His head in the game. I didn't say that, what I just said, to make you feel sorry for me. I said that because somebody in this building needed to hear that because that may be where you are this very moment. You feel like God has just kind of stepped outside of your world and you wonder what in the name of common sense is going on. Amen. Can I just tell you today, amen, that God only gives good gifts. God only gives good gifts. I don't know what I don't know what Stephen was thinking, but God only gives good gifts. Amen. He was gifting the church. He was gifting the church. Yes, he was. Amen. God help us today to understand the power, the power that He has given us to overcome if we will exercise our will. Stand, please, if you will, with me. Amen. I understand the word closing means nothing. I heard a preacher say not long ago, I heard a preacher say not long ago, he had somebody visiting with him in church and some kind of few things happened in the service. He said, well, what's that mean? And what are they doing now? And well, what's this? And he had never been to church of any sort. So it was every, every little part of the service, you know, was just a brand new chapter to him. And so when the, the preacher got up to preach, he took his wristwatch off and he laid it up on the side and the, his, his guest said, what's that mean? He said, not a thing. <laughs> no, no, doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing. And so I know that you, I know that you think that sometimes probably, but anyway, Amen. I'll tell you this, that God's gifts, even sometimes they're packaged in thorny boxes, are always better than Satan's bargains. In Joshua 7, Achan forgot the warning of God about something and he saw some forbidden wealth. He coveted it and took it. And you know what? Achan truly and really he was rich for a season. 
if he could have froze his portfolio right there. Somebody would have been asking to write an article about his success. But he he just realized in a moment of time when he was being led out of town and his family that even God's gnarly packaged gifts are better than the devil's bargains because this is coming with a huge price, huge price. So this morning, I want to challenge all of us to evaluate our lives. And I want us to think about how important it is to stop things, stop things before they wreck your life. Stop it as soon as you possibly can. If you've allowed the thought process there to just reside in your home, it's not too late today to send an eviction notice and say, you're out of here today. Amen. I'm going to be real specific. If you've allowed some things in your home, amen, you need to evict them today. But if you don't get it out of your heart first, you can do whatever you want to. That'll just be a that'll be a dog and pony show. Because if it's still in your heart, you go burn it today, you just buy another one Tuesday. So we need to get it out of our heart. If we've allowed some things in our mind, and I'm going to tell you if you amen, if if you haven't gone too far, stop, stop, stop. I wish you could see my heart today. Sadly, all you can hear is my voice. But if you could see my heart today, I'm begging you. We need to stop and say, Lord, I want you to help me. I want to overcome these things. I got to get this behind me. I got to get it in my past. Amen. Let's play something here today and let's just worship the Lord for just a moment. Praise God. I'm going to tell you that God's not through in this place today. God is not through in this place today. Amen. We're going to sing and we're going to worship. We're going to take care of a few things. But I believe that God has burdened my heart to preach another message today. I don't have preacher's itch, but I do have a burden in my soul. So I'm asking you to help me today. Let's stay connected. Would you do it? Let's lift our hands, our voices. Amen. Just worship the Lord in whatever manner is comfortable for you. But please worship the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.